Welcome to Midnight Monologues, a recorded conversations mini podcast. Today's episode features the Chronicles of Tinder. There's been much discussion behind my back and recently surfaced regarding what I am working on, what I write about, what I podcast about, and most importantly, and somehow most significantly, the fact that I have a Tinder account. So here's where I unveil all my dirty little secrets. If you have sensitive ears, sexuality is not a topic that you are readily comfortable with. If you really just don't give a fuck about my Tinder, then don't listen. But if you want to know a little bit more about me and what I'm doing, enjoy the episode. So on April 1st, after a very long progressive conversation that had continued between myself and my husband, we created Tinder accounts. And the reason we did that was because we are entering a new journey in our relationship that has compelled us to seek to form intimacy with other people in different levels. And I know immediately lots of people are, have already assumed that just means that we're looking to have sex with other people. And that's really not what it's about. I have a theory that corresponds to this kind of equation that Cynthia Bourgeau points out in her book, The Meaning of Mary Magdalene, and it's stuck with me. And the equation is simply this. Kenosis times eros equals agape. And ever since I came to this equation, I needed to work it out in my brain and prove it to be true. And as I have tried to unpack this idea through utilizing the academic work from psychology, philosophy, theology, sociology, anthropology, I, I, I think it requires that I look outside the scope of what I've only experienced. And that means I need greater experience. And my husband longs for the same. And it's not a lustful longing. It's a heart hunger that... It feels like it needs to be nourished. And I believe that is through a route of intimacy. I believe that is through a route of pushing past the status quo boundaries that we encapsulate our marriages in and our partnerships in. There's something in my heart that tells me that the way that we limit love has a hefty consequence on the way we love others in general. 
we can't love our neighbor because we never see our neighbors ourselves. And I think the only people we really see as our true neighbor, as ourself, is our spouse or our partner or significant other. But we only allow ourselves to have that one type of relationship at one time. Most of us claim we'll live it out until death parts us. But the truth is, is even my husband has been divorced. We've been, there's divorce. And so that's, you know, monogamy lasts only for a period of time. When monogamy ends, and it has to start again, when one relationship ends and we seek another, we still limit ourselves, And we hold to this idea that we can only love one person at one time. And I think, well, that's not true. I love my children. I have five children. I love all of them. I love them all so much with all of my heart. Uh, yeah, that's not the same. No, that's a deeper love. That's, I, that's a created love. Like that came out of my womb kind of love. That's a deeper knowing of another human being and the formulation of a relationship that a marriage will never provide a person with. Marriage, however, is a deep knowing physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, sexually. It's, it's an integrated knowing, or it's supposed to be, but often it's not. And when we do figure it out, and we do get to that integrated wholeness of knowing, like my husband and I have, we feel like there's a knowing with other humans that we should try and experience. And again, does that mean sex? No. But does that mean sex is off the table? No. Nothing's off the table. That's the point. But the point is also that we've spent almost 15 years together learning how to make our relationship work, and we still face problems. We've had such a dramatic, hectic week, legally speaking, uh, in-laws involving police and filing harassment reports and requesting harassment orders and requesting to have me evicted out of my own home, all but my husband and my children can stay. So it's been very trying because it it pushes against other established bonds and relationships that existed before I came into the picture. It's triggering a lot of wounds that haven't healed from before I was in the picture. And I'm watching three relationships outside of the one that I share with my husband come into a change. Mm faced with many obstacles. And so, yeah, that's a lot. That's heavy. And the Tinder thing has caused some issues, has caused jealousy, um, mainly on my part. My husband's been pretty kosher with everything, is patient. Um, there was this one guy that I matched with on Tinder. And after tossing back a few messages, we came to discover that he went to school with my husband, like was in band and and plays and shit with my husband. And yeah, it was weird. And they talked on the phone for like an hour catching up. And so that was weird. And one of the first matches I made and it was... Uh, a moment of serendipity that made me 
face two choices. Is this assigned Tinder is a bad idea? Or is this assigned Tinder is a good idea? I'm a sign person. Like I look for signs. I see repetition, names, numbers, uh, patterns. They, they point me towards the direction I'm supposed to head. And so, I mean, I, I played around and I got to know some people a little bit. I mean, not really. I mean, everything is really surface on Tinder in the beginning. Now, don't get me wrong. It is because of Match.com I met my husband, although I didn't match with my husband. I matched with someone else, and he just happened to be running extremely late, and my husband was there. So, And we lived happily ever after. But in our ever after, this Tinder thing is showing us a new dynamic of relating to another person, of connecting to another person, of building intimacy, of seeing if you can establish intimacy through the internet. Um, I used to believe that I grew up with eHarmony and Yahoo Personals and Match.com and AOL, come on, and MSN, and chat rooms, and meeting random people at random restaurants, and if nothing else, getting a meal and a couple of drinks and a conversation out of it. And I enjoyed that. And not only that, but that initial high that you get, that limerence you experience, that giddy butterfly youthful anticipation you start to feel that's incredibly powerful and rejuvenating and arousing and that actually adds to the relationship it's added to mine and my husband's relationship it has made our sex life more interesting more connected more spiritual more in sync more harmonious and Sex is an art form, and sometimes a painter will set down her favorite paintbrush and try a different one and see how it strokes out. So I don't know, maybe that's what our evolution will lead us to, but we're both doing this with no expectation. We're both just putting ourselves out there, and I've shared in a few moments with a person that I've known for some time. And I've developed a relationship with him. And in the beginning, there was no pretense. There was no idea of anything beyond platonic, anything beyond social and mutual and business and professional. Over the years, I have developed a more intimate relationship with this person. And there was some time spent with this person recently that resulted in a very transcendent contemplative experience in which we held each other and breathed and really deep breaths and breaths that almost felt like you were holding your breath and you didn't realize it and the exhale was so sweet and the embrace was warm and it was tight and it was firm and it was magnetic. It was like, I don't know how to explain it, but that was a moment that I shared with someone that was not my husband. And I didn't push for that moment to really go any further. I wanted to create a space of security for this person. This person had just been dealing with a lot of stress and inner turmoil and the world has been heavy. The world has been socially distanced. I hadn't seen him in quite some time. 
And we are close friends. We're the kind of friends that will sit next to each other at lunch and share fries and uh, hug each other hello and goodbye. And it's a hug that means love. And so that moment was spiritual. It was it was a charge of energy and light. It was a beautiful moment, an intimate, physically connected moment where literal vibrations of energy could be felt. And in that moment, I just thought, what if the world could have this? And intimacy has been my goal. I know how important touch is. I know how important a hug is. I know how important it is to just be seen and heard and felt like you're an actual person, like you you visibly exist, that someone can touch you and feel you. And after an 8, 10, 12-week quarantine and a fear of the other, it was a sorrowful yet joyful reconnecting of oneness that seriously has to benefit more than just me and him. And that's what I'm looking to create with another person. That's what my husband wants to create with another person. We know that in service of one another, we hold space for each other, Corey and I. And man, can he hold space. And he's taught me how to hold space. He's taught me how to listen because he listens. And I want to imitate everything he does. And we reflect the light in each other. If marriage and commitment and eroticism and sex can offer that magnitude of transformative love in such a way that all we want to do is just keep reciprocating the space holding and the service of one another and the self-sacrifice into each other, what if we turned that outward and shared that with other people? And I, I know sex stays on the forefront of my mind. I know it's on the forefront of a lot of people's minds who have a lot of inquiries and confusion about even my willingness to talk about this publicly. But I've told you from day one, I've said this about myself from day one. I made a promise to myself that I was going to be real no matter how scary it was. And I was going to tell the truth no matter how much criticism it could invite because I know that when we criticize other people's experiences and desires and wants and goals and, and motivations, we do that because we are jealous that we don't have that for ourselves. And when we don't have it for ourselves, we want to take it away from everybody else. And so I don't, I don't worry about the judgments. All my life, my mom reminded me, your name, Danielle, means judged by God, judged by God, judged by God, judged by God. Later, I found out the translation actually means God is my judge. But the reiteration of judged by God weighed very heavily on my psyche. And every time I caught myself facing the choice to lie or tell the truth, and I lied, it was like someone had just chained up my heart with heavy, heavy, heavy weights. And it just, it tugged at me forever until I finally confessed and came clean. And I learned how to repent real quick. And then I just learned how to just admit the truth. 
the words that I use when I confess that I was wrong, when I confess that my actions and my behaviors were not rationally thought out, were not backed by love and mercy and grace. I mean it and I feel it. I mean, I feel it like it does eat at me when I'm when I when I'm in the wrong. And Corey calls me out when I'm in the wrong. And I try to do the same with him. I probably do too much. I probably call it the wrong. That's not really the wrong just because I'm jealous. And then this other, the verse, woe to those who call good evil and evil good, that really lingers. And I think when taking that verse and applying it to this journey that my husband and I are taking with Tinder seeking intimacy and connection outside the confinement of a marriage, that looks like love. Love is always good. If we know what love is, if we know that love is consensual, if we know that love is cognitively responsible, if we know that love is for connection, if we know that love does not coerce, does not shame, does not ridicule, does not maintain demands or expectations or obligations. It's freely given. It's freely given and it's freely received. That cannot be evil. That cannot be wrong. That cannot be a sin. That is, I mean, let's break this down. For me, sin, I recognize sin as believing the lie that we're separated from God. That's not my theory. That's a fancy theological theory that's been backed by thousands of years of theologians, of founding church fathers, of Bible scholars, and Christian apologists. And when we're willing to expose ourselves to unlimited love, meaning I'm willing to push past this confining contract of a marriage and say, I will freely give my love to those who will freely receive it. How can that be sin? How can that not instead represent an understanding that we are not separate, that we are one, and that we are opening ourselves up to more love? That's the thing. We're taught how to love we go through these stages of let's learn how we love and we love cautiously and we love in these limited confinements. And as we get older, then we just settle down and love one person and that's it and we stop. And all the other kinds of loves come second to that or are not the same or is not as deep or is not as committed or is not as transformative. And I think Maybe that works for the majority of people because let's be real, relationships are really fucking hard. Most of us want to give up. I've given up on a lot of relationships. But when we're not willing to give up and when we're willing to take it all the way through and say, I love you so much that it would feel more like a sin to keep that love to myself than to share it with others, how do we... How do we condemn that? I thought we were told about the potential of the ultimate love that we could experience and share and freely give and freely receive. I mean, that's the gist of what I get out of the Gospels. Yet, all of us who are 
box dumpers and deconstructionists and transforming and metamorphosizing and going through our spiritual journeys and changes. Why don't we ever break down that aspect? Why don't we ever peel that back and expose it? Why don't we deconstruct that? Why don't we see that as a societal program and construct that needs to be reconsidered? Because that's fucking crazy. Because polygamy's wrong. Because polyamory is wrong. Is it? Loving all is wrong? Didn't Jesus love the entire world? How do we get to that level of loving our neighbor as ourself if A, we're not even proximity with that neighbor, and B, we limit the, the level of connection we're willing to have with that person? I don't know. You can call me crazy. And trust me, I am looking for things to counter-argue against where I'm going. I really am. I'm looking for something to convince me that I'm wrong. I'm looking for a possibility that I am misinterpreting, that I am misreading, that I've mistranslated something. I'm looking for that. Trust me, whenever I think I have a good idea, I'm the first one that's going to try and prove that my idea is wrong, first of all, because it can't be a good idea in that I had it. This is the thing. The other thing is what's really sad is I realize that when I talk in this angle, the trajectory could take us down a path of treating sex like it's absolutely nothing. And I would never want for that because I knew since I was a little kid that sex was something serious and significant and spiritual and sacred. I knew that as a little kid. I knew that at like five or six. I knew that. I knew that that would be a life-giving experience. I knew that that would be a transformative experience. I knew that would be an experience that would reveal God to me on a completely different level that I could have never fathomed until I experienced it. Now, I'm not condemning those who don't treat sex in that same way. Because a lot of people just aren't, aren't awake to that yet. I wasn't. I was, I was young and promiscuous and curious. And I didn't care what other people thought about it. I needed to know what I thought about it. And so I did explore and I did discover. And that would make a lot of people feel overexposed and in many times it did but I learned from it and I grew from it and it's where I am now and I still hold to the same position sex is sacred it's spiritual it's life-giving it's also a little death and it's also a surrender and it's also a climax to an abyss of nothingness but it's also a climax to the eternal pleasure of God. Society doesn't treat it that way. Society uses it as an advertising gimmick. Society uses it to entice you into some show because every show suddenly just needs some sex scene to, I don't know what the goal is, to make it feel normal. They've cheapened sex. Sex has been cheapened and distorted and grossly embellished and reduced to nothing more than just a mechanical action or a a bit of entertainment. And I don't hold sex in either regard. I hold sex in a therapeutic light. 
I view sex as a way to re-stimulate the senses, to unnumb the numb, to calm the voices in my head, to calm the quarrels in my heart, to help me work some knots out of my back, to give me some exercise, to give me liberation, to give me an opportunity to fall apart and surrender. I mean, there are so many ways where sex is used as a progressive tool to help continue the healing and changing process and evolution of my journey. That's where it's leading me, to Tinder. And it is also revealing a lot to me about humanity and about men. Because the more I engage with men on that level, on that level where we can both assume we are trying to get to know each other for the reason of having a relationship of some form, an intimate relationship. Like I said, I don't take sex off the table. Now, when I first started, I was playing by some limiting rules. And I wasn't considering respect and principles and ethics of this kind of uh, embarking of a relationship. I mean, the statement or my bio says uh, ethical non-monogamous. And in the beginning, I was like, and that means this. And if you can't meet these qualifications, then no. And then I was reading this book. It's called More Than Two, A Practical Guide to Ethical Polyamory. It's written by Franklin Vo and Eve Reichart. And um, comes heavily recommended by the author of The Ethical Slut, Janet Hardy. Not just a guide on polyamory, but a guide on relationships in general. So what I learned from this book is that I was just kind of going about it in the wrong way, like with these like expectations and rules and regulations, even though I didn't really think about that at first. Um, not only that, but I mean, we do that in our own relationships, in our marriages. We walk into this marriage with these expectations. And when we are exploring any kind of a relationship, expectation has to be taken out of it. Expectation takes away from the present moment. And I mean, call me a sucker for it, but I am all about spontaneity. I, I, I love spontaneous, serendipitous synchronicity. I love when I feel like everything just kind of lined up to where it needed to be. And when I walk into any kind of opportunity for a connection with anyone, I know my ego wants me to draw all these expectations and make all these presuppositions and have all these like preparedness plans just in the event that whatever I don't I had predicted doesn't happen I have to wipe all that away and I mean it's as simple as just <sighs> breathing it out real quick and like okay swish it away go in with an open heart and we don't do that because we guard our hearts. We guard our hearts. We limit our hearts. We entangle our hearts around these boxes and, and these little grooves and these strings with rings and, and licenses and I do's. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to be responsible for being an obstacle of love, any kind of love, whatever form that takes, because it doesn't mean that I am loved less if my partner has the ability to love more. 
just like it doesn't mean I love my spouse less if I have the ability to love more. All we are doing is trying to make sure that we can grow our love and spread our love. And that's what I get out of the Bible. That's what I get out of the Gospels. These are conclusions that I started to draw after I finished reading books like Romans Disarmed and Heart and Mind and even the erotic phenomenon, even John Paul II's Theology of a Body, even even going through just things that uh, David Bentley Hart has written about. The work of Cynthia Bourgeau, more than anything, has influenced this line of thinking for me. And, I mean, there's so many bits and pieces that have been compiled together in all of these books that I have just so happened to read in the order that I did on the journey that I did that have brought me to a comfort of certainty in that I don't feel like what I'm doing is wrong. There is no wrongness about the actions that I'm taking. This is about experiencing another human being. This is about experiencing another reflection of God This is about being able to see another piece of me reflected in someone else. And the same for my husband. This idea that um, Danny Prada had brought up on the podcast that I had with him was this idea of a lightning rod and how we need lightning rods to ground us. My husband is my lightning rod and I am a lightning storm. And he's even said it, uh, sometimes you need more than one lightning rod. And this is true for buildings, uh, for skyscrapers. Sometimes more than one lightning rod is needed. And when I think about that, I think about someone being able to ground me and hold that much space and all of my energy for me so that I don't blow out everything. It's a lot to ask of one person. It's a lot to depend on one person for that. We're supposed to learn how to live with one another. And living with one another is most beneficial to all of us if we're loving one another. And I don't know if even these connections are temporary, but it offers somebody something productive or beneficial or it encourages them or it lifts them up or it provides somebody with a moment of intimacy and spirituality that they felt was so deficient in their life. What a great gift I could be, he could be, you could be, we could all be to another person if we weren't so concerned about the way that we limit our love. Sometimes we know people need to just be hugged. Maybe sometimes we know that someone just needs someone to caress their cheeks, someone to caress their arms, someone to tell them they're beautiful, someone to just hold them. And we make it taboo, especially if we have rings on our finger. We make it taboo to have that kind of an established connection with someone. What? It's just messed up because what does that say for the touch? Jesus healed people through touch. We are meant to heal people, but if we can't touch people, if we can't feel people, if we can't see into people, we can't heal each other. And then we can't heal the world. And I don't know. I guess this is just my contribution to humanity to heal the world.